In this episode of the podcast, we're talking about boutique photo labs and film. This is Twitter. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, I have Boutique Photo Labs owner and operator, Mr. Ryan Tolbert here with me. We're going to be talking, you guessed it, about film. Is it viable? Should photographers today care about film? Is it on its way out or is it coming back with a vengeance? Ryan has opinions on that. We're going to talk through it. Ryan Tolbert, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Going great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, you're, you're welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for agreeing to do this. I'm, uh, I, yeah, I'm really interested in, in, in kind of diving into some of the nuances around film. I have a history in film, as we talked about in our little pre-interview, and I have questions. You know, I remember, I remember back in the day, dip and dunk. You know, loading up films yeah. on film spools and the whole nine yards. You see, I did it all, you know, everything from black and white to pushing and pulling film to E6 to C41 manually and with a machine, Noritsu back in mm -hmm. the day. And now the, with the advent of digital, right? It's like, oh, it's all gone. I can all, it's all click. I, can, and I don't have to worry about any of that. But you argue differently. You argue that there's, there's still a place in the world for film and, and it's, it's coming back or is already back. Let's let's start before we dive into that conversation. Tell me about Boutique Photo Labs, sort of the history and the lineage of it and where where it came from and why why you are so passionate about this stuff that is film. Sure. Yeah, well, you know, it um it started uh by accident, uh, right? I suppose uh, never, never intended to open a film lab, never intended for this to be what it is today, but obviously very thankful. Um, you know, I, I started to hang out with other film shooters in the Nashville area and, and found out there was a film community here. And, um, we would have regular meetups and, uh, just kind of dork out over cameras and, and, you know, just talk about, uh, different film stocks and, uh, different gear and, and things like that. And, and just why, why people were shooting film. Uh, why people were finding that again. And, you know, that was probably somewhere around 2010, 2011 that I started um, getting inter back interested in it. My first love for film came in, in college in the darkroom, like mm -hmm. a lot of people, right? I found, I found that uh, connection with, with film and with, uh, you know, making something end to end, right? From, you know, shooting a roll of film, getting it developed in the darkroom and then printing, right? And, uh, and, and darkroom printing is, is, a, is a love of mine. I don't get to do it often uh, anymore, but, you know, that's really uh, kind of what hooked me there is just to see a print, something that you made that's, a, that's, that's physical, that's tangible, and, and that can't be replicated, really. Um, so, um, I mean, that was in the 90s when I was in college, and, and um, you know, I knew digital was on the horizon at that point, but I was still very interested in film. But, it, it uh, you know, life got in the way, you know, uh, post-college stuff got in the way jobs, uh, careers, families, all that. But, um, but yeah, started to find film again in, in the, you know, 2010s and, uh, found a film community here in Nashville, like I said. And so from there, I really started to, you know, buy up some film cameras, take it on as a hobby and really, uh, start to get into it. And then, um, you know, just trying to be, uh, savvy on money and, and, you know, so forth. I wanted to, maybe see if I could avoid sending my film to a lab to be processed and maybe see what I could do at home uh, with, with home developing. So 
I got into that at that time and, you know, uh, just using, uh, kits that were available like powdered C41 kits and so forth. Um, you know, the old standby black and white developers like HC 110 or D 76 from Kodak. Yeah. Um, doing, doing all that in my kitchen sink on Sundays. A lot of times that was kind of a Sunday fun day for me was, you know, after church, just go develop some film in the sink and, um, just kind of waste the weekend away that way. And, and I enjoyed it. It's very therapeutic. Right. And then, um, but you know, I did that and, and that kind of took on a life of its own and it took up a lot of my time. Um, and, you know, of course, after the film was developed, then what, right? And then you still have to get it scanned or, or print it somehow. And right. uh, that was a, a little bit of the sticking point, right? Um, then I was dealing with the Epson flatbed scanners and, um, you know, was able to scan a few rolls on a Sunday afternoon, um, but very, very tedious, kind of slow and so forth. Um, so I started to look and to see what else was out there um, from a higher volume standpoint, since I was wanting to shoot maybe five, ten rolls at a time. And it was just very time consuming to do otherwise uh so started looking into a lab scanner and see what's out there and um ended up finding an interesting little gadget uh that kodak helped develop um hmm. that you know maybe some of the film shooters know but this is uh my, one of my first kind of you know lab scanners that was a whole that would scan an entire roll uncut was a um a pack on scanner um and they're still around, they're still around or still make some other things, but they mainly are known for that scanner. Kodak helped develop the color science behind that and the software behind that particular scanner. Um, anyways, uh, bought it from a dealer out on the West coast. And at that time it was $250 and I was, um, $250 was a lot of money <laughs> yeah, at that time yeah. for, for a lab is. scanner <laughs> and still is right. Um, but of course I found out later that that scanner used to retail, uh, for tw around 12 grand, right? 10 or 12 grand oh, back in the day. Wow. But okay. this was, this was a type of scanner you would find in a one hour photo. Um, so this could have been something at a, at a, a Rite Aid or a Walgreens or something like that drugstore type one hour photo place. Cause it was something that would allow them to scan an entire roll in about five or six minutes and a decent resolution and, and make prints from. So anyways, long story short, you know, I got into that and, and, um, of course it just escalated from there, you know, uh, spending more money, trying to find something better, faster, better and some better and faster on the developing side. Um, uh, finding better ways to dry film, eliminate dust, make things more efficient. Uh, so fast forward a little bit and I ended up buying a Fuji lab scanner, Fuji frontier, uh, which is very popular with a lot of film labs. And, um, you know, at that point I, I looked back and I had, I had sunk a, a decent amount of money into just trying to avoid paying, you know, at that time, probably 12, $15 a roll for, for developing from a lab. Yeah. Um, but I realized it would probably take me hundreds of rolls to, to, to break even. Right. So I, I thought it might be nice to, um, try and offset some of that cost and find some other clients that might be interested in having me develop film. Cause you know, if I've got a few extra rolls uh, of room left in my tank, I, it, it's not going to cost me any more time to throw in a few more rolls and get those developed. So I was like, you know, it'd be nice if I could find someone locally that also needs film developed that, that doesn't want to do it themselves and I could scan it for them and offer this as a service. Yeah. And so this was a side hustle for a while. That's, that's exactly what it turned out. Uh, and of course, you know, we see that a lot now in the pandemic uh, era where people have pivoted their jobs and, and found, turned these side hustles into into gigs, you know, and that's exactly what happened to me. Um, side hustle turned into a full-time gig, but this was well before the pandemic. So, um, you know, it, it's, it was just a passion that, that it was just a hobby at one point and just kind of escalated to be such a time commitment and started to bring in enough revenue that I thought about leaving a full-time job. And, um, that was possible in 2018. That's when I, I left, um, 
uh, on my 40th birthday of, of all times, uh, I, I told my boss present. I'm out, you know? <laughs> and so I don't know, midlife crisis of sorts, but it was, it was kind of great to, to know, um, Hey, here I am at 40 and, you know, while, you know, corporate America is great and having a, a steady, you know, paycheck is great. I want to try and do something on my own, try and explore this entrepreneurship on my own and, and see what we can do in the film world. And so here we are in 2022, uh, growing and, um, keeping film alive. Right? And you're so. still loving it, you know, and it, it's interesting. The part of the dynamic and the magic of film is I think it's, it's also the other side of the blade, right? That some people see it as, yeah, it's too hard. And the path of least resistance is digital. Why would I go through all of that with chemicals and this and yeah. scanning when I can just press the button and get it? So take me through that piece of it. You know, the, the speak to the person that that maybe has never shot film. What I would argue is millions and millions of people, right, has never sure. shot film. They understand that digital came from film, right? Of course, we know mm -hmm. where, where all this today's magic comes from. But talk to the people that that there's this black abyss between where they are now and the ease of use and the instant gratification of digital and the sort of the, sort of the artisanship and the science of actual film. Like, what do they have to do? Like, how hard is it, I guess, to go from shooting digital to film these days? Well, uh... I don't know if hard's the right word. I mean, I, yeah, there it, is there a transition? Is there a bit of a learning curve? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you may end up with some complete garbage, let's be honest, on your first couple yeah. of rolls because maybe it was just completely underexposed, completely overexposed. Maybe you opened the back of the camera and then now the film is light leaked. Um, all kind of things can happen, right? But uh, so there is that um, kind of transition period and it could be hard. Um, but if you're a digital shooter, been shooting it for a while, you shoot on manual or, and you're, you're familiar with exposure, you're familiar with focus. Um, I, I don't know that the transition would be all that untoo familiar. Um, it's just, you do have to pay more attention. You know, I think in the, in the digital world, we get spoiled because almost any digital camera worth its weight these days has full automatic functions. It can yeah. focus for us if we want. Um, it can create automatic exposure decisions for us if we want. Um, and it can even choose uh, what processing looks like in terms of, uh, you know, colors and uh, auto white balance, uh, automatic ISO, a lot of this stuff, right? So uh, a lot of that we take for granted, and a lot of times we, we tend to um, use digital uh, because the technology is, is great, and it's also, it also makes great decisions that we don't have to think about. So it's, it's just one less thing. But with film, I, the difference there is that you do have to engage and really focus a lot of times and stay on top of the ball because um, otherwise you, you may end up with undesirable results and you don't have that screen to lean on. Right. And that's the difference. I think, you know, oftentimes we make a bad decision with digital cameras and we realize, Oh wow. Um, we were accidentally at F 16 and we meant to be at F four. Um, and, but now I see that, that this on the screen, well, that this was well underexposed. So let me, let me now correct that and then take another exposure and check it again. We don't have that luxury with film, so we do have to be mentally engaged. And I think it, it may sound crazy, but I think uh, some people really enjoy that. Like some people want to check out and use a camera as a point and shoot and just have it make all the decisions, and that's fine. Um, but I think some people want to be intimately involved with the entire process, and so they want to absolutely have manual control over that aperture setting. They, they absolutely want to have 
manual focus. You know, I think if, if even if film and digital looked alike, I think a lot of people would choose to shoot film because of the, the shooting experience, right? And that's, yeah. for a lot of people, those old um, manual focus lenses um, and just the, the feel of those, uh, those clunky SLR bodies for some, um, you know, I think it's just a different experience and they know that every time they press that shutter, it's costing them money. So they're very cautious. And that's the, that's the difference. I think you can't replicate with digital sometimes is that you, you have this kind of, um, uh, you know, carte blanche that kind of thing buffet at, at, at your availability to do whatever you want. You have unlimited number of shots and unlimited, uh, room to make mistakes. Whereas with, with film, you, you are in a finite kind of box. And so that breeds creativity, right? Those limitations breed creativity in a different way. When you know that you're stuck at ISO 200 and you have to work within those parameters, now you've opened up a world where you're like, well, is this a limitation or is this something, is this a challenge? And yeah. what can I do with that, right? And I think a lot of people like that. And, you know, it's okay if they don't see those results for five to seven days, whatever it may be. I think that that's also part of it too, that anticipation that you can't replicate. You know, it's too tempting with digital sometimes is that you you go and, and maybe it's one of your better shoots ever and you come home, but you're, you're tempted to take out that SD card and get those downloaded immediately and see what you have. Um, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. And, and there's nothing wrong with that either. But, but it, on the other side, sometimes when those photos, when you put some distance between yourself and the work you just created and you let it marinate and you sit with it and you don't see it for another week, now maybe we've created something a little different and we are a little bit more uh we approach that that volume of work a little bit differently uh, because now maybe some other events have happened in your life and you come back to it and you find new joy in that um you know i hear from digital photographers and and this is my experience too i mean i um i was a, a wedding photographer a family portraiture uh, photographer shot a lot of digital or at least a lot of hybrid um uh, but time doesn't permit me to do that anymore, so I, I really just run the film lab all day. But uh, when I would come home from a wedding and have you know four thousand photos or so to cull through, uh, it's overwhelming, right? And so I, I think I like the fact that film allows you to have some limits on that and not feel as overwhelmed either. So it's, and that uh, gives you that gives you like the as a wedding shooter, they, I think you have a lot of respect for the process and for what digital brings and on the the other side of it the 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 artisanship on the film side because can you imagine or have you ever shot a wedding on film right if you shoot a wedding on film back in the day that's yeah. how it used to be done rolls and rolls Absolutely. of film had to be perfect if you messed yeah. it up or you had your iso set wrong you, you were in a world of hurt, right? To the tune of hundreds right. of thousands of dollars, right? So yeah. I, I, how do you, like, do you, would you ever see yourself in a world where you would go back to like, hey, I'm going to shoot this wedding with film and just go through, and, you know, yeah, of course you got to have a certain level of skill, which I assume you have, but is it is it feasible these days or is it more of a case of let's use the right tool for the right job? You wouldn't cross the United States on a horse these days, you would use a car, right. you know. So, so what, what do you well, think about that? I mean, there's a whole niche of wedding photographers out there that do shoot entire weddings on film these days in, in 2022. Yeah. And, and it, yeah. I know that sounds a little crazy. But, no, it's out there, and we, we have those clients where they've sent us full weddings, right? Um, and, no, it may not be as many photos as you would expect from, say, a digital photographer or something like that. But um, it's enough to get the job done, especially for someone that's that's been doing it a while and confident. Um, 
oftentimes, and, and I did this too, but oftentimes they would have a second shooter who may be primarily shot digital. And so they've got a, a bit of a backup there in case something were to happen with one of the roles or all the yeah. roles. Yeah. Um, obviously great practice to, to have some kind of backup plan in place. But, um, and then, you know, of course, nowadays we see a lot of hybrid shooters where they will maybe shoot 10 to 15 rolls instead of, you know, 30 or 40 rolls of the entire wedding. So they'll shoot the, the primary highlights of the wedding on film, especially where they have good lighting, right? So uh, getting ready, very popular to do with, say, black and white film or things like that. And because you, you got various rooms where the getting ready takes place and the lighting could be dim, whatever. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But we see, you know, a lot of the, the photojournalism type shots done uh, black and white uh, with the getting ready. We see the um, the ceremonies done a lot of times on film, especially if it's outdoors or if there's good lighting available. And then all the uh, portraits afterwards, if that can be done in good lighting, uh, done on film. So a lot of times medium format film, over 35. Um, and then maybe a little bit of the reception. But, you know, as it gets dark, as you move into reception and maybe shooting with flash, a lot of times people will switch over to, to um digital in that case and that's where they're kind of hybrid right and, and they just yeah. like you said right tool for the job because right. at the end of the day sometimes you know you end up shooting maybe 30 percent of the entire winning might be the reception with all those dancing photos and you know um how much film do you want to waste on drunken guests you know dancing around right uh, and that exactly. kind of thing too so it sometimes it is a balance there but um no absolutely we see we see uh, photographers do it entirely on film if they want to um you have to find the right clients. That's a bit of a, of a, of a marketing thing to, to market to the right clients that want that and that are willing to pay for it. Cause obviously there is a cost associated yeah. with that. Yeah. But, it's more expensive. Um, but yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. But I, I you know, to, it, that, yeah. No, uh, yeah. It, I was going to say, feasible. yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of segue into the, the logistics around this stuff, right? The, sure. the sourcing of film, a, you can't just mm -hmm. walk into a Target or a Walmart or someplace and buy a bunch, you know, buy a brick of film these days. So the, there's different ways to source film now. And then on the processing side, where, you know, or the processing and printing or the processing, scanning and printing, however, whatever the flow is, that's where you come in. Um, but even on your side, as we were talking about in the, in the pre-interview there, the, the the technology is because all the money is over on the digital side with digital cameras and all that stuff. It hasn't been invested on the post processing or the 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 that the lab side of things. So if somebody right. wants to get into this right now, they want to get into film. A, where do they go to get this film? And then B, what's the process for going through someone like you to to get it? you know, developed, printed or scanned and all, all that. Take me through that, that flow for the person that's like, yeah, I want to do this. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, as far as actually, uh, sourcing film itself, new film, uh, it, it is, uh, not available, uh, you know, on every corner, like it used to be and not available as much at, uh, you know, drugstores and, and retailers like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's because for all intents and purposes, from a consumer perspective, film is dead, right? Um, and I say consumer, I, I just mean the, the masses, right? I mean, you know, uh, the height of, of film photography, uh, was 2001. Um, and it, ever since then it was on decline. Of course, now it's back on, the, um, the rise again in the last, you know, five, seven years. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the one hour photos have all pretty much gone away, you know, um, 
there are still some some consumer labs that process it like Walgreens, but they don't do it in house anymore. They they all outsource that. So and they they sell very little film. Uh, in fact, you can find some film at Walgreens here and there, even at Walmart. But it, first of all, it's all consumer film. So let's talk about consumer film versus professional film. Okay. Um, you know, uh, consumer film typically, uh, for th- from a thirty-five millimeters perspective, is only you know they only usually sell thirty-five millimeter because consumers really never shot medium format. Uh, consumers also never shot black and white film or slide film uh, very much. Um, but uh, so so that that being said, the one-hour photos and the retailers that that sold film back in the day only ever sold C forty-one color film, uh, twenty-four exposure mostly, and you can still find a little bit of that here and there. Some Fuji Superior 200, maybe some Kodak Gold 200, some Kodak Ultramax 400. Uh, here and there, you can find them in three packs or so at some Walgreens or some Walmarts. But uh, the prices are extremely high. They're not competitive. And most of those retailers have phased that out um, completely. So that being said, where do you buy film in 2022? Well, you can find it on Amazon. I mean, you can, what can't you find on Amazon? Uh, it's not exactly competitive there either. Uh, that's because a lot of these sellers are third-party sellers. You're not buying it directly from Amazon, so the price can be set at whatever. And again, it's not always competitive. Um, there's larger photo retailers, your, your B&Hs, your Adoramas, places like that. They do sell film. Um, they actually sell it at a decent price. Um, it's kind of a loss leader product for them. Uh, they don't market up a whole lot. Uh, they they are trying to create film sales, and this is just my opinion. I, I've not talked with them, but this is just this is just what I see in the market. But places like that, large photo retailers, um, sell film pretty close to cost because they want you to add it to your cart, and then also, you know, add a, a digital camera, buy a battery, buy some other digital accessory where there is margin. If they want to try and suck you in with a promo or whatever it might be, so they'll make up their money that way. Uh, but they sell film pretty close to cost, very competitive. Um, so that's another way. So you, you can always do that. Um, but then there's small shops like ourselves, right? Film labs, um, quite a few film labs sell film like us. Um, and um, you can buy that online. You can buy it locally. But um, we sell that pretty close to cost too, right? It's not really a money-making venture for us. We're, we're not out there to, to price gouge. Um, we just want to create, uh, you know, sell film at a, at a reasonable price to help uh, our customers, you know, and yeah. hopes that the film comes back to our lab, you know. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. That's fine too. But, um, but yeah, that's what it is. Unfortunately, it's been a very challenging time for film um, to, to source film in 2022 because of the pandemic and because of global supply shortages. Um, 35 millimeter film has been especially hard to get in, in the first quarter of this year. Um, and um, it's just because it's all backordered from the distributor. It's just not right. available. Um, because demand is up. I mean, that's part of it. There's more demand for 35 millimeter than there is for 120 film. Um, 120 film has has definitely been easier to get this year. Um, but, um, that is, and it's just, um, raw material shortages, right? Yeah. And still the, the the primary manufacturers of film is, uh, color film anyways, is Kodak and Fuji film. And, um, Fuji doesn't seem to be as interested in, uh, having as many film stocks out there as they used to. They keep discontinuing film stocks. They've been plagued with global supply shortages um, and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, So Kodak has more out there, it seems like, um, but they're just uh, almost impossible to get. So yeah. we, we try and get them in as we can, but uh, you know, when it's back order, it's back order. There's not much we can do. 
And people um, can buy so. from you, right? If they want, as part of that flow, they can they can order. So you could you could be the whole yes. the boutique photo labs is the whole ecosystem and come to you for the film and then send it back to you for processing and scanning. Do you do any printing or anything? Or is it all is the in the end game the scan and the delivery of the digital files? Well, that's our most popular service is to have the film scanned and and, and the digital files sent. But yeah, we do printing. Um, I, I don't necessarily consider ourselves a print lab. We 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 can offer um, three and a half by fives, four by sixes, five by sevens, and even eight by tens. Uh, but they're they're proof prints, right? They're not fine mm -hmm. art prints. We're not we're not billing this as some elaborate you know print. But you know it's just like back in the day with um, uh, with your roll of film at, at the one hour photo, you would get it developed and get a set of four by six prints with that. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. so we we do offer that as well. It is um, the attach rate on that is maybe twenty percent. Okay. Um, if I had to guess, so, you know, there are definitely, there is demand out there for, for people that want prints. Obviously you can get scans and prints. You don't have to choose between those. Um, you can order that as well, but yes, we, we do offer printing, um, you know, for customers that get a roll of film and, and out of that, out of that roll, they've got this one just keeper that's absolutely worth printing at 20 by 30 or something, you know, they can send that to a, a print lab and get that done on a nice canvas or, you know, luster paper framed, matted, whatever. You know, we don't we don't go that far into printing in terms of, you know, doing kind of uh, wall art type stuff. But we definitely make proof prints for customers that, that just want that. What are what are the options for film? Like you mentioned for, you know, the the uh, 35 millimeter and 120, of course, is is 120 the biggest that you can go up to? Or can somebody wants to start dabbling in large format like four by five or even eight by ten? Are those options with boutique? Yes, so we do four by five. Um, we have capability to process up to four by five sheets, so we can definitely do that. And and we see that from time to time, and we love it. Uh, uh, I mean, we can do that with C forty one sheets, uh, uh, black and white, or E six, right? Cool. Um, uh, the E six large format E six is just unbelievable for for people that have never seen it, what sheet film looks like or large format film as a uh, as a positive. Uh, you just hold that up to the light, and you see that that uh, image and it's just something else, right? It is. It's um, almost indescribable. Yeah. It's like reality almost, yeah. right? <laughs> and e even 35 millimeter, I mean, slide film is slide. It does in, in any size, it, you know, 35 millimeter slide film is just still, it's still very beautiful. And, um, you know, we still have a lot of customers, uh, or a fair amount of customers that want those mounted in cardboard mounts and they pop them into a projector and have a slideshow, you know? Right. And I think right. for, for a lot of the, the younger audience, that may not be familiar with what it's like to view a slide, uh, you know, that is something I think everyone should experience because there's just nothing like it. I mean, you can get a scan of slide film, you can get a print of slide film, but seeing it on a projector screen is just unmatched in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's it was the original slideshow. It's it's what we, you know, there's not really much of a, of a replica for that today. I mean, yeah, we can watch a slideshow on our computer, on our phone, uh, on our smart TV, whatever, but, um, Man, you know, I remember uh, with with my family. Uh, you know, my dad was big into slide photography uh, as a hobbyist, and back in the back in the eighties, and we would sit in the living room uh, sometimes on a weekend and, and pull out the slide projector from a trip and just just watch a couple rolls, and it was it was mesmerizing. I mean, to see some of that old Kodachrome stuff, or to even see some, you know, Fuji um, uh, Velvia things like that. Man, I mean, it just it blew my mind as a kid. Just the the, the punchiness, the the contrast, the vividness of all that, I, I just felt like it was there, you know, um, and it's, it was just great to, to see some, some of his travels, something I, that I was not a part of, maybe some trips that he took that, 
that I wasn't with with them. But you know, obviously our family camping trips and things. A lot of that was documented on slides, and it was just a, a real uh, awesome thing to do. So uh, you can find an old slide projector on eBay. Um, so if you want to buy a roll of Kodak Ektachrome, uh, for those that don't know, Kodak uh, uh, discontinued their slide film Ektachrome. I think in 2012 was the last year that oh, they I made that. that. It, wow. It, okay. it died out for a while, and then in 2018, late 2018, early 2019, they brought it back. Uh, so it is available again today. It's been out for a few years. And uh, it's an amazing film. Nothing wrong with the Fuji slide films either, but they are um, harder to come by these days and more more pricey, it seems. But yeah. um, any roll of slide film, if you get a chance to shoot some 35 millimeter slide film, we can mount those in cardboard mounts. Uh, you can buy a, a, a usable projector on eBay and um, have yourself a family slideshow. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, you remember the old, what was it, the, the ectographic? It was the ectographic projector. I think because everything mm -hmm. was Ecta with with Kodak, right? Oh, the yeah. ectographic yeah, projector with the carousel, and you know, yeah. you had to make sure everything was good. And occasionally they froze up or broke up. You know, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. we used to do. I was in. Uh, I mentioned to you in our, our pre interview. I used. To, I was in the military as a combat photojournalist. Uh, I did that for eight years, and one of the things that was our job or the job of my unit was occasionally, you know, the military would do these exercises where. You know, all folks would get together and then, you know, go out and basically practice our job in the military, you know, somewhere mm -hmm. here in the U.S. And our job was to document that and present a slideshow at the end of it to the the higher ups. Right. So they'd have okay. this sort of ceremony at the end and then everyone would go in and see this big slideshow of everyone in action of the shots that we'd taken. And I remember some of those photojournalists, some of these some of these exercises, they'd have these grids of projectors set up, you know, like what, eight by eight or something like that, you know, of projectors oh, wow. that were all synchronized yeah. to time cues on tape that each time cue would trigger a different projector to, to advance. And the slides themselves were developed. Some of them were half slides so that when this one projector A, you know, 12 showed a frame, this projector would overlay it, you know, and you know it was oh, it wow. was all That's kinds cool. of, yeah. and it had to be perfect, you know. I just practice, 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 and even then, Murphy would get in there and break a projector, mm -hmm. or a light bulb yeah. would go out, or something would stick, and the, you know, so yeah. It, it, but it was magic when they pulled it off at the end. I mean, tears in the room from these from these slideshows. Even though you can do something similar visually similar really easily today on a computer with software you know any number of software packages maybe it was the effort that went into it or just the mechanics mm -hmm. and the chemistry you yeah. know all that stuff had to fall in had to fall into place from the photography the art of capturing the image all the way through to the processing of this you know the slides and the mounting to putting them in the projectors and making sure the projectors were perfect and synchronized and mm -hmm. ready to go and press play and go and pray that the whole thing goes off. You know, all that energy went into these slides. So yeah, it was, yeah. Was, back in the day, the, the ectographic, I have fond memories of that thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Ryan, if, if, um, you know, taking you know, we, we started going through it, but you you are the ecosystem. So if someone wants to get into film, they can buy they can buy some film from you, shoot it, send it back to you, and then it ends up. How do you send it back to them? I'm, I'm assuming you give them like 
well, you tell me, where does it go after, after it goes back to you? And then what does it cost for them to start? Like, what does a roll of film from Boutique Photo Lab cost me? Well, um, I mean, again, like you said, it depends on what they want done. But yeah, our yeah. most popular service is to have the film processed and scanned. And then, yeah, we send that uh, via email download. We'll send them a download link to that. Um, but, you know, color film um, starts at $11 a roll to get processed yeah. and scanned. Prices vary from there. If you want different scan sizes, we offer different resolution. Um, and we also offer prints. And uh, you know, we do offer a, a basic scan service versus a premium scan service. So we do uh, that premium scan. We do more post-processing on it. The basic scan is um, corrected in the scanner. We correct for density and color um, in the scanner. Uh, but those are kind of course controls of sorts. So, you know, every... Uh, uh, every frame could could you always use some uh, post processing to look its best, right? To be fully mm -hmm. print ready. Um, so a basic scan is not is not bad necessarily, but it's designed for a photographer who um, has editing in their workflow. So they want to take that and you know know that it's about three quarters of the way there, but they have to take it all the way home. Whereas a premium scan, we try and make that fully client ready. Um, and so that's just a preference between you know uh, the photographer what what they've got in their workflow. Um, you know, if they're already used to, you know, working in Lightroom or Photoshop or something to do all the, the backend stuff, then, you know, maybe they want a basic scan that they can take and do some cropping, do some, uh, tone curves, do some, you know, white balance adjustments, et cetera. Um, but in a premium scan, we'll, we'll try, we do all that uh, for them on the front end. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that price starts at $11 a roll to get it processed and scanned and, um. You know, uh, that's that's what it takes to to get that done. We, you know, and then we'll we'll email the the files to them. Um, and if they um, uh, if they elect to have their negatives sent back, we'll we'll mail those back a week or so later. Um, do you keep those on file? On. If they don't want to, if they don't want to maintain them and take care of them, do you keep them? You know, for a well, period of time. We we do. So uh, you know, when you place an order with us, you you choose whether you want the negatives. Uh, you can choose dispose if you don't want them. Um, we still hang on to those for about two weeks, uh, just in case you change your mind or just in mm -hmm. case, uh, there's a rescan, uh, that needs to happen. Um, you know, maybe, um, you got the scans, you're like, oh, this roll is worth it after all, or, or maybe, um, uh, there was a dust in the frame or they need to be rescanned or some, something like that. Things happen from time to time. So, you know, yeah. we hang on to those, even though, so we have a box that literally says dispose and we'll have, we put them all in there and, the, and at the end of uh, two weeks or so, we usually, uh, discard those because we just don't have unlimited space to keep every negative. But but yeah, the other negatives that were that customers want back, they can either choose cut or uncut. If they cut them, if they want to cut, we we uh, put them into a sleeve and, and cut those, and and then we ship those back to them. Uh, we usually hold those for two weeks as well, just in case for the same reason. If they need them rescanned, if they need something enlarged and you know reprinted, whatever it may be, uh, and then we'll ship those back to them. If they're uncut, we'll just put them in a box and roll them. But yeah, we hang on to negatives. Um, uh, you know, for, for all of our local customers that, that um, you know, want to pick them up from the lab, a lot of times, you know, inherently we get busy and just don't get around to coming by. So we actually hang on to those for about a year because uh, it pains me to throw away negatives because, I mean, you know, that is that's the source of the image, right? So that's the I really source of truth. Yeah. Um, but we, we contact all of our customers. We send multiple emails, multiple warnings. Hey, they're going to be thrown away by this date if you don't come pick them up kind of thing. But usually at the end of the year. So like January, you know, we'll, we'll start fresh and say, Hey, we've been holding these for a year, you know, come, come grab them. Otherwise we got to toss them in a little bit, but, 
Um, but yeah, we try and hang on to as, as much as negatives as we can for sure. But the rest we, we ship back, uh, cause you know, largely a mail in film lab, we probably 80, 85% of our businesses via the mail and from, you know, uh, out of state clients, but the rest of it is, uh, you know, Tennessee, you know, Nashville business for the most part. Cool. Nashville, grand old, Op- yeah. grand old Opry over there. I've been there. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a couple more directions I want to go in. So it sounds like if I'm doing my math correctly, for around 25 bucks, I can I can get a roll of film and get it. I can shoot it, send it back to you, get it processed, and you send me a download link, and I can take those files and then bring them into Lightroom or whatever, capture one and do my thing with them, which sounds really reasonable, right? So just yeah. getting into it is 25 bucks to experiment and see if you like film. And you like that flow or not? Am, am I? Did I hit that right? Yeah. No, that's fair. That's that's one hundred percent fair. Uh, that's probably yeah. about the average cost, um, just depending on the film stock you choose. Yeah, because uh, a roll a roll of thirty five millimeter film could vary. Um, unfortunately, in in this economy we're in right now, film prices have gone up a bit. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of chatter online about film prices. A lot of people think it's high, you know, but a lot of it is that the prices have not been adjusted in quite some time, and we were actually getting a pretty good deal over the last few years um uh there's actually been some i don't mean to go off on a tangent but i i've seen a lot of comparisons online since the prices have gone up there's a lot of blog posts and um things out there but people have compared the film prices in the heyday of film like in the in the mid 80s through the mid 90s um of what film used to cost then and then adjusted for inflation versus what it costs now and it's actually not too far off from where we're at um, because of inflation so uh, that being said, film is, is at least uh, the same, or maybe even slightly less than what it used to be in the in the heyday. But uh, but yeah, tw- about twenty five bucks, I would say, because you you're probably going to pay twelve bucks or so for a roll of film. Um, if you buy it in larger quantities, or if you buy you know singles versus uh, packages of five, the pro packs, you can save some that kind of thing. But yeah, I would say maybe twelve bucks for a roll of film plus the you know pr- the lab cost of say anywhere from eleven to. Seventeen dollars, depending on what service you choose. Yeah, then yeah, you can bad. you can have those images. Um, by default, we we deliver JPEG images. Um, we do have an option to deliver uh, TIFF files for for customers that want a, a larger uncompressed file as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, uh, for customers that are that already have a workflow in place with with Lightroom or Capture One or whatever post processing tool they're using, um, they can take that in there and, and edit it the way they would any other. Uh, digital file. I mean, it's not a raw file, so you, you don't have maybe that same uh, that same latitude of sorts. But um, you know, if you shot the, the if you expose the film correctly, um, you know, and we we can deliver a nice neutral scan to you. You've got some flexibility there to, to kind of change that color palette, change those tones a little bit the way you want. But you know, honestly, the beauty of film is is I'm not saying it's not warranted to be edited. Every every photo could use its own kind of finesse to, to look its best, but um, the beauty is that you kind of just with film you accept the way that the film stock is the way it is. If if the reds come back very heavily saturated, um, that's probably because that uh, that film was just a heavy heavy saturation film. Like like Kodak Ektar, one of my favorite films out there. Mm-hmm. It's a 100 speed film, beautiful film, uh, but it's very punchy in the reds, and so it's going to come back if you shoot uh, people with it. I'm not saying you can't shoot people, but you know with um, if you're going to do some portraits or things like that, you can expect some skin tones to come back pretty reddish yeah. because it's just very vibrant that way. Um, obviously, you know, kind of aimed at landscape photographers, very popular landscape photographers, but we see people shoot uh, portraits with it all day long 
Um, I see people shoot it indoors with flash. I mean, you, you wouldn't think to use a hundred speed film indoors, but if you shoot it with flash, it actually looks pretty, pretty awesome. It does. Um, I've shot hundreds and it's a super of, hundreds fine grade. I love Ektar. Yeah, yeah. I love Ektar. It's a great film. Uh, I'm just throwing that out there because that's one that's a, a very um, influential kind of look. I can just tell by the way something looks. I'm like, oh, that's that's Kodak Ektar, no doubt, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think Ektar for me um, is still with me today. I remember that box. As soon as you said the word Ektar, I remember that box. <laughs> yes, yeah. I remember seeing that box. And yeah, I think even to this day, when I'm processing digital files, I think the Ektar look is probably somewhere in my head. You know, that kind of mm -hmm. slightly saturated, a little bit more clarity yeah. in there. You know, it's it's you know, it stays with you. It was interesting. You know, Ryan, I wanted to I want to wrap this up with a discussion about longevity and equipment, right? Mm -hmm. So we know sure. we know that uh, digital, of course, you know these new digital cameras are coming out a mile a minute, and they're doing some amazing things like the Nikon Z9 and Sony this and the Canon that and the Panasonic this. You know, they're they're pushing the limit forward in terms of what can be done on the digital side with sensors and tracking and AI and all mm -hmm. this stuff. On the film side, if someone wants to get into film, what are their options these days? I mean, is it to get on eBay or Amazon or go to garage sales to f and find a film camera and start shooting that way? Or are there modern alternatives for the film shooter available these days? Um, you know, it, there is a myriad of options, I suppose. Um, you know, eBay is, is an okay place. Uh, I've bought quite a bit of gear off of eBay. Um, and you, you can find deals from time to time, but, um, you know, as film has, the popularity has risen, um, then a lot of times you just see sellers kind of profiteering from a lot of that stuff. Cause you know, yeah. people are buying cameras to flip. That's a whole business these days is, is flipping cameras because, you know, people can take something that might need a little bit of cleaning, uh, you know, a little CLA or something here and there and flipping things for, for big money. And so sometimes the prices are a little bit out of line. So it's, it's a buyer beware situation. Um, uh, surprisingly enough, there's a lot of stock out there in Japan. There's a lot of, if, if you're mm. willing to buy something international on, off of eBay, and I've done many times, especially with brands like Pentax and Olympus, so forth. Um, some of those cameras are out there, but there's, there's a lot of stock in uh, Asia that there's not here in, in the U S. So, so that's definitely an option. Don't, don't rule out eBay, but it's just, you have to know what the market prices are and you have to know what to look out for. You know, if you're buying a lens is that, you know, can you, can you make sure there's no fungus? Can you make sure the aperture blades are not sticking, that there's no oil, that the aperture ring and the focus rings move smoothly. Um, so it's a little bit of a, of a gamble to buy from that far away from a seller that you don't know and that kind of thing. Yes. eBay has your back and you can have PayPal protection and so forth, but, um, it, it is a little bit more, um, uh, of a risk, I suppose. Sure. Now the good news is, uh, it, you, so you mentioned, um, uh, you know, buying like at a thrift store or something like that too. That's yeah. an option, right? Going to, going to a Goodwill, going to a thrift store. Um, you can find some deals out there, but a lot of times those things just get scooped up so quick. So you, the inventory is not going to be what you may want, right? It's just whatever they happen to have. Um, but that not, a, certainly not a bad way to get into it, especially as a, as a newbie. If you just want to just dip your toe in the water, go to a thrift store and find yourself a, a point and shoot and put a battery in it and uh, buy a roll of film and, and let it rip and, and see what happens. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, you're, you're only going to be out a small amount of money if it doesn't work or if the flash doesn't work or whatever. Uh, but that's a great way if you can find a deal. Um, 
But there are some reputable sellers out there, and that's the good news, right? Is um, And one of my favorite is KEH. They're in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, KEH.com, uh, great uh, retailer. Um, and that's kind of all they do. That's their primary business is, is uh, selling film gear. But not only do they resell film gear, um, uh, and, of course, they'll buy it. They buy and sell. And they, uh, they're also a repair shop, but they, they do a once-over on everything before they list it. They market in, in certain grades. They have excellent. They have um, like new. They have good. They have fair. And then they have like bargain. Um, and they usually have notes on exactly what may be wrong with it or why it's in a bargain condition, why it's in an excellent condition, et cetera. Uh, 60-day money-back guarantee. Yes. Um, and so anyways, I've bought a lot of stuff from KEH as well. Um, and so I, I highly recommend them. That's always, always a great place to look as well because uh, they're a trusted seller and the conditions are usually spot on. If anything, yeah. they're very conservative. I bought a couple of Nikon F100 uh, film SLRs from them that were rated in bargain condition. Um, they they had a – the notes said they had sticky rubber residue, which is common with some of the Nikon grip. Um, the outside, the, the black rubber sometimes tends to get a little bit tacky as mm-hmm. it ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, just with probably oil from your fingers and things like that. But, uh, you know, for, for a buyer like me that doesn't necessarily care about the cosmetics, uh, a sticky rubber residue for to get a, something at a bargain price for something that mechanically and electronically is in sound condition, uh, I'm all in. Right. So that's a yeah. that's another thing, because there are people out there that don't necessarily care about the dings. You know, maybe they can pick up a Leica and it's got a few dings or it's got some brassing on it or whatever, but they can get a, a pretty good deal on it. Uh, you know, uh, not a bad way to, to do it. So that's adds, another adds, and, adds character, yeah. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It gives you a little street cred, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Who wants to be walking around with something shiny and new? That means you haven't used it yet. <laughs> that's right. But you know, there's a, KEH is not the only one. There's others out there. B and H has a used photo department, Adorama. I'm sure there's others out there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there are some used, uh, retailers out there. And, and that's the good news that there's a lot of inventory out there. And, and that's the, that's why I'm very bullish on uh, film photography is because the amount of inventory out there worldwide is, is pretty staggering. There's still a lot of, of inventory of old cameras out there and a lot of them still in very, very good condition, been well cared for, that kind of thing. So yeah. we're not going to run out of film cameras anytime soon. So there's a chance for all these up and comers that have never even shot film to go out and grab a film camera and, and, um, and make it happen. And, you know, I also hear stories from a lot of clients where they'll bring a, a roll of film to the lab and they'll tell me, oh, well, my, you know, grandpa uh, decided to just gift me this Canon AE-1 or this right. Pentax K-1000, right? So some, sometimes it can just come from family who, you know, where it just, it belonged to them. It was their personal camera. They're no longer shooting. And so they decided to give it to a next generation and, and let the, let it live on. So uh, that's that's a great way too. check with your check with your relatives, man. Exactly. Yeah. What do you got in the cl- what do you got in the closet over there, granddad or grandma? Yeah. Um, you know, the, I wanted to wrap on this. So we talk about gear. So on the on the photography side of things, of course, you know, and finding the cameras. We talked about the film, what the processing fee would be. So I go out and I get my camera. I'm good. I put a new battery in it. It's ready to go. I order film from Ryan. I put it in there. I've shot. I send it back. Scanned and all that. You you've done your thing. I'm happy. And now you have a customer for life, presumably. But on the the longevity of the industry side of conversation, mm-hmm. like your side, you know, we talked about this a little bit as well previously, too. Like the the gear and the equipment 
required to stay up to date and to process this stuff and and do what you're doing as a boutique photo lab what's the what's the prognosis for longevity there so in other words we're in 2022 as we record this in 2026 is is it still going to be possible for you to be doing this with film if i'm if i get into it and i love film in 2026 is ryan still going to be there and is your gear still going to mm -hmm. be able to yeah. be ready to handle what I want to send to it. Well, I mean, I hope so. Um, yeah. but it, it is a bit of an unknown, right? And so, yeah. um, like any savvy business owner, I, I try to make some, uh, plan B arrangements, but yeah, it, unfortunately there are no, um, new film processors being made. Uh, well, and I say that, I mean, there, there are, uh, mostly for the hobbyist, and that that's good news, and I'll touch on that in a second. But okay. from a commercial standpoint, there's not really much being made from a commercial standpoint for film processing, um, or even really film scanning, uh, and that's uh, that's a bit saddening um, because we do live in this great digital age, this this great electronic age where there's so much technology, there's so much uh, advancement uh, on that front. Um, but I'm still bullish because uh, you know. We still, there is still a small inventory of processors available for lab use. There's still a small inventory of scanners, but that does have a finite life at, where, at one point where those spares will be gone and prices will skyrocket so high that it's just, uh, uh, you know, unsupportable. But until that time comes, I'm confident that maybe something will come along. Um, you know, I don't know that any dip and dunks processors are being made. I think Jobo may still be supporting some of their models. Uh, and maybe um, maybe some other uh, maybe Refrema. I don't I don't know, uh, but I really don't think so. There's just not much out there in terms of support. You know, Fuji and Naritsu are still around as companies. Um, they make film processors. They're probably the the do the vast majority of what most photo labs use. But there's no no new models coming out, and there's no support uh, for no. Well, I say there's no support. You can buy support plans. There are some spare parts in their inventories, but it's not in mainstream support anymore. It, it, yeah. it costs a lot to have a technician come out or whatever. Uh, I'm the head technician at our place, <laughs> so I do all the repairs. Uh, and we do have some spare parts on hand. We have a full spare machine on hand. Um, we also have a lot of spare scanners. We, you know, we, we try to have as much backup as possible uh, to keep things going. So yes, I mean, will we be around in, in 2026 and 2030 and beyond? You know, I hope so. Uh, we'll find a way. And then maybe by then, you know, someone will have of started the Kickstarter and, you know, brand new commercial film scanners available and, and, you know, it's the future and everything. And, you know, I will say this from a scanning standpoint, I'm, I'm a little bit more bullish about it in the future because DSLR scanning has become very mainstream, very popular with the consumer crowd. Um, it would still be very slow and tedious from a lab standpoint with the kind of volume that we do. Uh, I mean, to give you an idea, we process about 12 to 1400 rolls of film a month. Wow. Um, Wow. And so I could not imagine DSLR scanning that many rolls. Um, yes, the scanning process is very quick. Um, I mean, it's just snap, advance, snap, advance, snap, advance, um, you know, to logistically get that roll scanned. But then, then there's the um, inversion that you have to do on the back end, all the software. It's not quite as automated as it is with a lab scanner. So it's mm -hmm. not there yet. There's also no dust removal like there is. There's no digital ice software to remove the dust like there is in a commercial lab scanner. So those things are missing. 
maybe at some point someone will find a way to fully automate that and bring in the same kind of speed and efficiency that you get in a lab scanner with DSLRs. Because at that point, if, if you could just insert any DSLR here into this scenario, then boom, we've, we've, we've got an endless supply of those. Super high resolution, we could go medium format, we could go whatever, man. We, we, could, we could do a lot of things if we're using our own sensor. But um, uh, I'm, I'm bullish about DSLR uh, scanning and potentially that might be a more automated, efficient way for labs to do high volume. Um, but they, they can't quite compete with a lab scanner uh, on time because time is money in this industry. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that we don't care about each roll of film, but we can't spend an enormous amount of time per roll because we just couldn't get all the work done. We, our turnaround time would be, you know, four weeks or something crazy. So um, anyways, uh, but I don't know who's going to film processing is a little bit of a concern. Yes, we could always do it by hand. But again, that's a labor. That's a huge labor issue. Uh, if you're if you're processing film by hand, which a lot of labs do for, for small runs of like black and white and specialty film. You have to hang it to dry, then you got to deal with dust, and you know dust is the dust is the enemy of the film lab world. Right? Yeah, we have to fight yeah. dust because we we will not deliver a dusty scan. We go and we clone every dust spot out in in, uh, in Lightroom or Photoshop. Um, so if we can eliminate dust at the source, that's just faster that we can turn Same around, time. right? So we yeah. we have to have a an automated dry way to, to deliver film, and uh, you know those those solutions don't exist. But I will say this, and I, I know we're, we're probably running close to time, but um, I have seen, and I try and keep tabs on things that are out there, Kickstarters and, and different um, inventors and people that are out there trying to find uh, better ways to, to do things from a film standpoint. And there are processors being developed all over the world. Uh, there's there's um, several people uh, doing kind of small hobbyist size processors that'll do like six or eight rolls of 35 millimeter at a time, could do C41, E6, uh, black and white, et cetera. Uh, in a pretty quick amount of time. And so while that's not quite lab volume, lab scale, um, I'm confident that maybe somebody will get there and make a larger machine that would potentially replace a larger Naritsu processor or a larger Fuji processor, something like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, with the it's technology the we have at hand, with, with all these smart minds um, out there developing software, things like that too, that maybe we will get there. And so maybe we don't have to rely on the large you know, giants of the industry to come out with something like this. Maybe it will be something on the boutique side because, you know, that's what we're seeing from a film lab perspective too. You know, the film labs that are out there these days, the majority of them are small businesses, you know, very one, one owner, you know, a family run or, you know, just real small knit type, type things. They're not corporate owned labs anymore. And I'd love to see more product being developed by those kind of people too. So, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I think probably the moral of that story is, if you're interested in film, why not just start now? You know, we we kind of yeah. showed what what the barriers to entry are and removed the barriers to entry. So if you're interested at all in jumping in and experimenting with film, just do it right now, right? And then see where things now's go the in time. the future. Yeah, now's the time. So with that, I know you you put together a coupon for the the Twip audience. What what's the coupon? Yeah. What what's the discount that they get? Uh, so we're offering 25% off their first order. Uh, so, you know, any new customers that uh, want to just try us out, uh, we'll ha be happy to give you 25% off on that order. And uh, hopefully that can g give you an incentive to uh, shoot a roll of film and see what comes of it, you know? A little kick in the butt. A little kick yeah, in the butt. 25% uh, yeah. kick in the butt. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we'd love to have you. And, you know, and we're, we're, we're also, we love to talk with film photographers. So if you've got questions, I mean, one of the highlights of my day is when someone calls and just wants to have a chat about, hey, how do I get started with film? 
um, you know, give us a call, uh, reach out to us on, on Instagram, social media, anywhere, email, whatever. But, um, you know, we'd love to talk with you if you've got questions on how, how to get started, what the process looks like, what camera to get, what film to shoot. We'd be happy to have a conversation with you on all of that. Love it. Love it. So what I'll do is I know you, 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 you've sent me a link, a special link that folks should use in order to, to take advantage of that discount. So I'll include that link in the description for this YouTube video and also on thisweekinphoto.com embedded in the blog Perfect. post show notes for this interview so folks can check it out there. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on, man. I'm excited. And congratulations Absolutely. on following your passion with, uh, with boutique photo labs. What's, what, yeah. we'll, we'll end it with this. We'll end it with this. What's next? What's next for Ryan and, and Boutique? What's on the horizon? Well, I, you know, I think just trying to find, uh, trying to connect with more photographers and, and try and just evangelize the film out there and, and really just see if we can't get other people interested in it. Um, you know, I don't know that uh, we have any, you know, unlike a company that sells products or widgets, right, we can't just, you know, come out with new you know, you know, now we got a new widget for this month and, you know, this is on the horizon. You know, I think things are a little bit uh, the same with us in, in terms of a services standpoint, but I think it's just trying to find different ways to, to find different audiences and connect with them and build relationships, right? That, that's what we've always been about. We want to we wanna, uh, have a relationship with you so we know your work. We are inf intimately familiar with the look that you're going for. Uh, and that's the thing I didn't mention earlier is that, you know, with a premium scan, for example, you know, we want to have a color profile. We can set up a, a color profile, have some reference photos on file for you if there's a certain look that you like to shoot. And um, you can always uh, send us uh, samples of your digital work and, and uh, send us some Instagram uh, photos or whatever it may be uh, to give us an idea of, of your style of photography. And we can try to match that. And if you're a hybrid shooter, we can try and match those digital files as well. But uh, that being said, you know, we've always wanted to be a lab that develops a relationship and gets to know you. A lot of times we do feel like we get to know our clients by just kind of seeing where they travel and the weddings they shoot and the people and so forth. But, um, no, we'd love to build a relationship and we'd love to find new ways to connect. That's always, that's always what's next for us. I love it. Yeah, I think you found yeah. your, your tagline, Boutique Photo Labs, Developing Relationships, right? <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. That's all yours. You can have that, you know. <laughs> TM. Developing yeah, yeah. All right. Man. Uh, what's the, what's the URL for for the website if people want to go check it out? You can find us at boutiquefilmlab.com, and you can find us on the socials at, at boutique at boutique film lab as well. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Ryan. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you. This is Twitter.